This week's episode of the Top Five Report, the podcast that can assure you we will be at Brittany Kaiser's party, not just hanging out playing Nintendo. <laughs> Drew, I'll be your host for the evening. <laughs> Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Here. Hey, man. How are What's you? What's up? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. Um, we don't have too much news tonight. Um, I have. Uh, how many? Hold on a second. I have one, two, three, four, five, six trailers to discuss with you. And I realized I had no time to tell you about them to go, dude, watch this. You're basically going to get my retelling and maybe you'll get a chance to go look at them yourself. <laughs> OK, now I'm curious um, if I've if I've watched any of them or not. But uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, um, you know, this is our uh, post Christmas episode. So how are your holidays? <laughs> Oh, they were uh, they were so good. It almost feels like they didn't happen. <laughs> uh, just so everyone knows, uh, we are recording this before Christmas. So this is kind of a coming from the future uh, thought process. If you will. Absolutely. It's a very retroactive, bizarre, backwards time travel thing here. Um, but, yeah, no, holidays were good for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I'm on the brink of having a vacation from work and I'm literally counting the days. It's absolutely nuts and i'm literally like when can i not do anything um so like i really look forward to uh being able to sleep in past 5 a.m not have to go anywhere you know like maybe watching tv in the morning (laughs) you know what i mean so (laughs) and i'm just excited that i have christmas eve and new year's eve off this year (laughs) oh but no that's uh i'm off uh the 23rd so the day before christmas straight through to like january 3rd um Mm. And I only had to use four days of vacation to get all that off. So um, it just worked out really well. Um, all right, man, enough about nonsensical stuff for us. Um, <laughs> let's um, let's talk about the nerd stuff that everyone came for. Uh, what are we watching? What are we reading? What do we got going on? Yeah, I actually kind of wanted to bring it back to the nonsense a little bit. Um, oh, because, okay. uh, and I'm actually glad that you mentioned that it's before Christmas because I've been doing some Christmas shopping. And I thought I had just kind of an interesting experience because uh, – I went to the mall this past weekend and this is like the first time. I mean, I feel like I've been in a a mall within the last couple of years, but I don't know. It feels like it's the first time I've gone back to the mall in so long. And it was just kind of a it's just cool. Like, I love walking around malls and going in random shops and stuff. And I haven't done that in so long. So that was amazing. But while I was at the mall, I went to the store BAM, uh, also known as Books a Million. Um, this is basically the store that took over Walden Books. And uh, I was kind of surprised when I went into the store because I don't know. When when was the last time you've been into like a proper bookstore, Drew? A proper bookstore? It's been a while. It's been OK. A, um, that's not a comic book store. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Just like uh, a, your typical 
like your Barnes. I mean, I don't know how Barnes and Noble stacks up to what I'm going to be getting at, but I was just curious if you've right, been so in a bookstore lately. Barnes or not. and Noble. It's been a while to be in a really cool, like off the beaten path, like uh, bookstore that like gets your attention. Like, wow, this is a really cool find. It's been like probably a decade. <laughs> so okay. <laughs> So it's been probably a decade where I've been in those in like some weird like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like you go to a city and they have like some random non-chain bookstore and it's just really cool. It's been a while since I've been into one of those. But as far as more like chain bookstores are concerned, I haven't been in one of those for a while either. And uh, while I was going through uh, Books a Million, I was really shocked because you know, I was shopping for other people, but anytime I'm in a bookstore, you have to check out the uh, graphic novels. You have to check out the, you know, the comic books and the manga section. And I was really shocked because in this store, it literally felt like half the store was manga. <laughs> and I've been in the store really? like, yeah, I've been in the store like a couple years before and there was not that much manga. And like I went to the graphic novel section and that seemed pretty much like the normal size that it used to be. But I was just really surprised because the manga section had expanded to like there's a whole like, you know, couple shelves that actually had. But then it expanded like onto the side of the store and took up literally like half of the wall on the one side of the store. And it was just like it was weird, but it was really cool because I was like. I mean, I know manga has been getting really popular in the U.S., especially in the last couple of years, but I didn't know it was getting this popular <laughs> that like part of this store was going to be unrecognizable to me. And it was kind of like I was a little bit like, man, I need to get into reading manga again because <laughs> it's been a really long time since I've really read, like sat down and read a manga. And it's just kind of was really cool to me. Um, yeah, I was just shocked. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit don't know what, to, what all to say about it. I was just like. Yeah, if you go to a mall, like check out the bookstore because I was just really, really surprised. <laughs> nice, and that's that's awesome. And then if you've never read a manga, I feel like anyone who's listening to it probably has. But if you've never read one, um, it's basically you got to read it backwards, and that's just how Japanese print works. Um, so uh, it's it's a little bit of a learning curve. But as far as a manga goes, once you're past like maybe the third page, you're in the rhythm. So it's just a little yeah, bit exactly. get used to. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but then otherwise, the only thing else I've been like watching or reading um, and like speaking of books, I kind of got myself into a funny situation because I don't know if you've ever been in one of these situations where you borrow a book from somebody and then you like put off reading it. <laughs> but then you realize you're going to see that person. So you try to read it really fast. Yep. <laughs> so that's kind of the situation I'm in right now. Um, and I've mentioned this book before on the podcast, but a long time ago, around when the Netflix adaptation came out, um, I borrowed the book The Dirt from a coworker. And this is like basically an autobiographical story about uh, Motley Crue, the band. Um, and it's one of those things because like I, I like my, Motley Crue and, uh, you know, the movie was coming out. So my coworker was like, hey, I'll let you try, you know, I'll, I'll let you borrow this and you can read through it. I was like, hey, awesome. And then it was one of those things where I borrowed it from her for way too long. And then COVID hit and everybody started working remotely. And I was like, well, now I've just had this book for like two years. And uh, my company is actually having a Christmas party coming up. And it's like the first time everybody's kind of meeting up again, like 
literally the first time. And I'm just like, I still have that book. I'm trying to read it really fast. <laughs> so that's where most of my like entertainment has been, has actually just been trying to read this book. Um, before I met, when I mentioned this book, like a long time ago, when I first started reading it, I did mention that the net Netflix adaptation of this story is, they basically take a extremely debaucherous R-rated story about a band and turn it into the PG-13 almost. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be too rough on it, but I've heard people say the Netflix Netflix adaptation is like the Disney Channel version of this story. <laughs> and like I did enjoy right. that adaptation when I watched it on Netflix. But the more I read through the book, the more I kind of agree, because not only does the movie take out a lot of the more crazy, debaucherous moments from the book, but it actually takes out a lot of the more interesting sections in a lot of ways. Like uh, like like there's certain members of the band that get into weird occult like satanic things at part of the book and that's like not in the movie at all and then there's also a part that i thought was pretty funny where uh there's like this section of the book where motley crew for some reason decided that it would be really cool to start biting random people like that's a weird phase they went through on tour and they mentioned like going on this big tour with a bunch of other bands and biting random people like biting Eddie Van Halen and members of ACDC and stuff and basically just pissing <laughs> off all the other band members they're on tour with. And it's just like a really there's a lot of really great moments that the Netflix adaptation uh, skipped out on. So it's really entertaining. I know this is kind of going into a music commentary world that we don't talk about on the podcast that often. But uh, I thought I'd mention it since that's what I've been mostly delving into lately but uh um, okay. otherwise doesn't, it doesn't matter whatever you're consuming that's the whole point of the segment right so <laughs> absolutely um but that pretty much does it for me um as far as what i've been enjoying i'm hoping to you know ever since i went into that bookstore i really just want to jump on a new manga or something but uh drew i don't know what have you been watching what have you been reading so my reading has been uh down just because i've been prepping like I, I have like an adult D&D campaign I'm prepping for a new like like group um, to try and get off the ground. And I've been running my uh, the kid campaign that I'm doing with the park district. So I've basically been doing a lot of that this past week. Um, yeah. And then uh, but it did give me some time to watch a bunch of trailers because they're short. Um, and I watched a movie. So we'll save the trailers because that'll segue into news kind of nicely. Um, but the movie I watched this week was the new Home Alone on Disney Plus. Um, <laughs> oh, nice. How is it? Which is which is titled Home Sweet Home Alone. Um, nice. So this movie, um, I had heard that there was a connection directly linked to the original two films because like you have Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, and then you have Home Alone 3, which is very its own thing. Um this one has a direct link to the original two films, so I was kind of curious to watch it anyway. Um, essentially, a kid gets left home alone, right? Um, this is a this is an interesting one because it's two families, and there's a there's a dual family dynamic. Um, and interesting. Uh, so the break into the house is a completely different situation than just robbers. Uh, so you kind of got to watch the movie to understand. I don't want to like. If I go into that, it'll like I'll basically be telling the entire 20 minutes of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that that complication aside, um, the connection to the original movie is that Buzz from the original films is in this. Um, okay. 
And what was really cool is the house that the main kid lives in. At the beginning of the movie, you see um, a sign in the yard that says this house protected by McAllister security, which is funny. Oh, great. <laughs> in theory, Kevin started a security company and you're like, oh, that's funny. Um, I'm going I'm to um, buzz is in the movie a couple times. Um, buzz is now a police officer. There's a really funny bit where the police get called to the house that's getting the break in and buzz plays it off like it's not actually a thing because the call comes across the radio and it says uh saying a child's been left home alone by their parents who went on vacation (laughs) And, (laughs) and you hear buzz go um that's not a real call we can disregard and they're like what are you talking about and he's like my brother got left home alone once when we were children and he's calling this in to make fun of me It was a really That's awesome. It was a really good, funny, laughable moment just to kind of hark back to the originals. Like I said, Buzz is in the movie a few more times, but that was my that was like my favorite Buzz callback moment, if you will. Um, that actually sounds pretty. That sounds like a good connection. Um, yeah. Which is kind of cool because this description is making me feel like this. Uh, I don't know if it's 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 a reboot or a sequel or what exactly it is, but it's making it sound like it's handled a lot better than maybe I suspected at first yeah. glance. So, yeah, um, there are some really good one liners in the movie. There are some great slapstick physical gags. It's home alone. So you're going to have those. But I'm going to tell you this. Everyone who liked the home alone movies, I really think you need to watch this. Not necessarily because you can kind of you see everything coming. This is a very predictable movie. What's not predictable is this kid is psychotic. Like if you thought, <laughs> if you thought Kevin put those burglars through the ringer, he, he's got nothing compared to this kid. Like it's it's there are some gags in here that are turned up like it's crazy. <laughs> um, well, that's what I was going to say. You got to turn it up a notch for every sequel. And uh, like, that's kind of really funny to be well, honest. He's got, I'll, I'll spoil one. And this is the one where I was like, oh, my God, this kid's psychotic. He, you see him prepping these Nerf darts, and you don't really know what he's doing with them. And then the Nerf gun trap that happens, and the guns, like, suddenly unload the darts on, like, it's like the pull the string that pulls the trigger, I don't know, whatever, however it was set up. So the Nerf guns fired. It was like a rapid fire, so it's several, several darts hit this character. And the character, like, puts their arms up to block the darts, and suddenly the darts are, like, sticking into them because there's thumbtacks on all the ends of the darts. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like when they pull the dart away from them, I'm like, what is it? Is it glue? And then when they pull the dart off their face, you're just like you see the thumbtack and you're like, good God, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's great. But it's one of those things that, you, you know, that the, there was a writer's room where they sat around and they had whiteboards and stuff with all these. <laughs> crazy contraptions you know all these different booby traps they could put set up and it's it's kind of when it goes into the actual creative people behind this film it's probably not too different from the people who come up with all the different like contraptions for the saw movies and stuff i know know? they're like all right we need to come up with some new torture devices what are we gonna do you know i'll tell you this though Everyone should watch the movie specifically for these booby traps and contraptions. And it's it's cool. It's well done. Um, they use they don't use the original score, but they definitely use an homage to the original score. So some of the familiar okay. music is in there. Um, but no, I, I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, check it out. New Home Alone. Pretty good. Nice. Um, all right. So trailers. Here we go. So first off, 
Uh, we're going to talk about a trailer called Home Team. Um, I stumbled across this. This looks charming as hell. I just wanted to bring it up. It's a new Kevin James movie, and I know I don't talk about Kevin James movies that often, um, <laughs> but this is a so Kevin James in this trailer. It's called Home Team. Kevin James plays a um, he's like one of the uh, offensive coordinator coaches for the Saints. If that's yeah. right. He plays one of the offensive coaches for the Saints. His son is in like high school football. And um, at some point, something happens where Kevin James gets suspended as a coach and has to, like, leave the team for X amount of games. And he goes back to watch his son's game in high school. And his mom's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm here to watch my kid's football game. And no one believes him. And then he has to kind of fess up and say that he got suspended. Um, And uh, he finds out that his kid's team is, like, really dragging really bad. And it's basically that heartwarming story where the uh, pro coach decides to help out the uh, ragtag high school team and uh, um, find that love of the sport again kind of thing. The cool oh, thing about this is as a comedy, the movie looks fantastic. As a heartwarming family film, the movie looks fantastic. As a sports film, this movie looks like it's a ton of fun. Um, so I actually, it's going to be on Netflix. I actually thought about giving it a shot just because it looked like a really cool movie. However, trailers can be deceiving. So <laughs> take my review with a grain of salt, watch the trailer, see for yourself. I thought it looked pretty darn cool. So nice. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's that one. Um, I also saw the trailer for a movie called operation fortune, um, which, uh, Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, um, Hugh Grant. Um, there's a whole mess of characters. Like there's a huge cast for this. I don't want to go through the whole list, but operation fortune is the new guy. Ritchie film coming out. Um, guy Ritchie. Um, a lot of his movies, his movie, I think his movies are all pretty good. This trailer looks really, really fun, really, really exciting and incredibly original. And I was, I was watching this trailer. I thought to myself, that's one thing about guy. Ritchie. That's really cool is his movies are all original. It's all its own headcanon. So whether they're doing a heist or a action sequence or, you know, some crazy, uh, let's see, um, what's a good one? Like uh, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels or like Snatch or something like that. Like some of those movies, like they're really off the wall and weird and crazy, but they're also really fun and original. And you're not looking at a reboot, a remake, sequel, anything. It's just kind of his own little like Guy Ritchie universe that he's just exploring and telling stories in. Yeah, absolutely. And he usually uh, he does a really good job uh, creating a, uh, you know, good cast of uh, memorable characters like most of his films. Just a lot of times the characters just really stick with you after watching them. So, yeah, that sounds cool. I'll definitely have to check that one out. All right. I also watched the trailer for the new Nicolas Cage movie that we talked about a while back called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. That's the name of the film. This is the movie where Nicolas Cage plays himself. Okay. Um, We didn't know much about the movie other than the fact that Nicolas Cage has been cast as Nicolas Cage in the next Nicolas Cage movie, which is such a (laughs) Nicolas Cage sentence to say. Um, (laughs) When I watched the trailer for this, this is basically a movie about Nicolas Cage. And he gets like invited by this like super rich guy who's a big Nicolas Cage fan has invited him to make an appearance at like his birthday party. And he's offering Nicolas Cage a hundred, a million dollars just to show up. And Nicolas Cage is like, I'm not going to do that. Just make a show up at this guy's birthday party. Like, dude, it's a million dollars just to show up to this place. And he's like, all right, I'll go. And then you find out this guy's like this massive fan. And he's got this big, like 
because he's rich, he has this Nicolas Cage memorabilia museum. And like it's just the movie looks so much fun, action packed. I under, I know that sounds weird based on the plot I just gave you, but action packed and really funny. And it's very like Nicolas Cage is being incredibly meta with this. Like he had a, it, it looks like he understood what they were wanting to do and was like, yeah, we're doing this. We're doing it my way. Like, check this out. Here we go. Like, let's go crazy with this. Um, so, I mean, there's even a scene where the guy has like a statue of him from face off that doesn't even really look like Nicolas Cage. He's like, this has got to be the hideous thing I've ever seen. Is that supposed to be me? And the guy's like, well, yeah. And Nicolas Cage is like, how much you want for it? <laughs> you know, like, um, well, yeah. I, just from the description, I feel like I'm already sold on this film, which is pretty funny, but I definitely want to watch this trailer. So, <laughs> yeah, the unbearable weight of massive talent just looks hysterical. Um, Peter, I'll send it to you or I'll send it to the group chat that you, me and our brothers are on. Um, that way you awesome. guys, I'll see it. It just looks amazing. I'm just Nicolas Cage is a weird <laughs> specimen because when I don't know, I feel like Nicolas Cage was like this, like kind of serious actor like sometimes you'd see a film and you'd like it with him in it and sometimes you wouldn't but it was like 10 years ago or something it was like the collective sub subconscious of everybody on earth just decided that Nicolas Cage was also going to be a meme while also being the serious actor and everybody was just on board with it or something because <laughs> it wasn't like a gradual thing I just feel like all of a sudden Nicolas Cage was like a meme, but he's also like this huge act. I don't know. It's just like a weird phenomenon. You know how, I don't know if you know what I mean by this. Well, but I was going to I was going to compare Nicolas Cage as this generation's Chuck Norris. Based on the way, yeah, you kind of. you know what I mean? Like Chuck Norris eventually became like a meme. And I feel like Nicolas Cage has moved into that Chuck Norris legend category at this point. Um, I mean, it's it's weird to think about how because I feel like Nicolas Cage and Chuck Norris aren't that far apart, but they really are because you think about Chuck Norris <laughs> acting opposite Bruce Lee and stuff like that. And you're just like, yeah, I mean, I guess Nicolas Cage, you know, yeah, this would be the new generations. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good description. It's <laughs> he kind of caught me off guard with that. But, yeah, that <laughs> makes total sense. Um, yeah. All right. So moving on. Uh, yeah. Check out un the unbearable weight of massive talent, which, oh, my God, when I describe the movie, Nicholas Cage playing <laughs> Nicholas Cage, like the title is just amazing. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then. All right. So let's talk about uh, we'll talk about Halo. Real quick. I have two trailers left to talk about. I was going to say Halo for last, but we're just talking about Halo real quick. Um, all right. Paramount Plus will be launching a Halo television series in uh, in 2022. Um, this has been on the production slate for feels like a decade now um several writers several directors in and out several producers in and out like drop projects put on hold nonsense um the trailer has finally released it released at the video game awards last week um it's a short trailer but it looks amazing thoughts because i know you watched this one yeah absolutely that's kind of my thoughts is that it just looks amazing um it looks I, like they're doing I was always right, with, you know? Yeah. With, with Halo, I was always more of a multiplayer person. Like, I've played through a good chunk of the first <laughs> game's campaign, just, but it was also kind of like playing at multiplayer at friends' houses and stuff. Um, so the story-wise, story I wasn't necessarily having those, like, really excited moments, like, oh, there's, there's this character in this one, but it's more like, it looks like it's awesome. I was really excited to see some of the... Uh, 
video game locations and live action. I thought that was awesome. Um, and then just like seeing Master Chief was just really badass at the end of that trailer. And uh, it's one of those things. I don't know if uh, thinking back on it, I don't know if that was a real suit or if that was CGI. I kind of want it to be real, but it might be one of those things where it's a real character in a suit. But then they have some sort of like CGI touch ups to the footage later on. But yeah, yeah overall, this looks great to me. I don't know what your thoughts are. I know you're you're probably the bigger Halo fan than me. You know what I mean? I know that between the two of us, I am. Um, I do think that was a real suit. Um, mm -hmm. I also think that um, so I do think that was a real suit. I think a lot of the armor and stuff you saw were real. Um, I yeah. love seeing the Pelican in the background of the one shot when they were in the hangar. Um, there were just some bits and pieces there. They showed a they showed a shot of high charity, and I was like, "Oh my God, we're going here already!" Like there's there's stuff already that you're just like, "Wow, they really are trying to hit hit that ground running with this show." So I just hope it's as cool as they're boasting it to be right now, and I'm on board. So nice. I'm gonna have to get a subscription to um, Paramount Plus, I guess. All right, <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> we're already running long, so I'll make this trailer short. Um, this is a trailer that I think everyone needs to go watch because um, this is another one I'll send you, Peter. Um, this one, um, I think everyone should check out. We're dealing with a lot of things like the DC universe and the Marvel universe are now starting to discuss the issue of the multiverse. And I'm a big subscriber of the multiverse uh, theory. I think it's absolutely um, I think it's fantastic <laughs> to uh, discuss this story. Well, this will actually segue us in a news perfectly, by the way. Um, nice. Uh, I think the multiverse is just something, something it just fascinates the hell out of me. So I'm a big subscriber of it. Um, so there's this movie coming out that is not comic book related at all. It is called, um, let me make sure I have the title right. So I don't like say it wrong. It's called everything everywhere at once or everything everywhere all at once. That's the full name of the title. Um, okay. I watched, I watched the trailer today. Um, this stars, uh, Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, Michelle Yeoh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, she is a um, she's best known for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Crazy Rich Asians, um, if that kind of gives you an idea of okay. where you know her from. Yeah. So it's about this older woman who at the beginning of the movie, she's dealing with all kinds of stuff, whether it's family problems, tax problems, money stuff like she's just work related stuff. It's just very like a drama, like something seriously wrong. And she has this out-of-body-esque kind of experience. And this guy claiming to be her husband starts trying to explain to her that she, um, that it's not just her, she has access, she's living in a multiverse, and she now, for some reason, has access to every version of herself and every version of the universe that exists. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> so, like, the, the movie gets, the trailer gets really weird, but the trailer also like gets so smart in the way that whoever wrote this really understood what he was trying to explain and right. wrote this incredibly bizarre, amazing like thing. And it's um, it's all literally about the multiverse. Um, yeah, it, it just looks awesome. Um, I really yeah. like everyone should needs to check this trailer out. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna, it, definitely, have, it, oh, ahead, sorry. Sorry. it definitely sounds intriguing and it makes me um, like just hearing the description is making me even even though I haven't even seen the trailer, it's making me like want to fill in gaps of like where the story is going to go. 
But that also makes me want to see the movie because I could be completely wrong. You know, I I don't know if the movie is going to teach her that the reality that she was in first and foremost, if that's like the best place for her to be. And that's where, you know, she belongs, if that's going to be kind of the lesson that she learns or if it's going to go along a different path. And it's kind of going to be cool to see how that plays out. Yeah, and uh, it's from A twenty four Studios. Um, but oh, it perfect! Just, That's awesome. But it looks, oh my god, dude! I, like I said, I'm gonna send you this trailer. You have to watch it. And this is one that I watched probably about ten minutes before we hopped on because I was just scrolling through YouTube looking for like anything I missed. And I'm like, what's this? You know. <laughs> well, A twenty four for the most part has done some really awesome, just you know weird indie films and stuff. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool too. It makes me kind of get a feel for what the tone of this movie is going to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, Oh my God. Like it's one that I'm really looking forward to just based on like what I saw. So, all right, since we're running late, let's talk about some news since that segues (laughs) perfectly into the news segment. Um, Oh, does it? (laughs) Yes, it does. So first off quick star Wars thing. Do you remember, um, uh, series we talked about a while back called star Wars, the acolyte for Disney plus. Do you remember me mentioning this? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. That's, back uh, when they, Disney, when they did their big press conference on like D23, I, it might have okay. been D23. Might have there was probably it. so much, so much news that I just forgot yeah. about yeah. Uh, this specific one. Yeah. 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 Um, well, it was it was either D23 or one of their big uh, shareholder conference calls that they talked about this. Um, it's a Star Wars series coming to Disney Plus called The Acolyte. The series said to take place about 50 years before The Phantom Menace. Neat. Um, okay. Now, if you know anything about the Acolyte, um, the Acolyte to us, to Star Wars fans, represents the idea that we're referring to the Sith, like a Sith mm-hmm. Acolyte. Uh, Acolytes, I guess you could, the best way to describe would probably be like a cultist devoted to an ideal, that kind of thing. Um, so we're dealing with the Sith Acolytes, um, or possibly part of the Sith Empire. This is going to take place before the events of uh, Phantom Menace, which is awesome. So it's something like, we're talking like Old Republic, if you will. Mm-hmm. That, not old Republic, but the Republic. So the Jedi are still in their prime, I guess you could say, because we're dealing with just a 50 year gap here. Yeah, that's a good thing to point out, though. <laughs> so the Jedi are in their prime. Yoda's Yoda should be around for this if he's on screen at all. Um, there's a chance based on his age, you could see a young Qui-Gon, but I don't 100 percent know if that's true um, because we don't know how I don't really know how old Qui-Gon was. But <laughs> we're dealing, let you, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, the lead role has been cast, um, um, shoot, um, Amanda Steinberg, uh, she'll be playing the lead. Uh, she's best known for playing, uh, Rue in the Hunger Games. So, um, she's all grown up now and, uh, ready to join the Star Wars crew. Interesting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, good for Rue. I always liked Rue. So, uh, I'm down. Let's see where this goes. Um, all right, let's talk some Batman news. Um, the Batman has WB or Warner brothers has reportedly tested two different cuts of the Batman to test audiences. Each Batman has a mysterious character appearing in the movie. So each different cut has a special character. The final test screening concurred last week, and they made a decision as to which cut of the film the studio likes the most. So that means there's a cut of the film. So that means we're going to get one cut of the film in the theater with a specific secret character. Mm -hmm. There's a cut somewhere with another character on the cutting room floor. That's just it's crazy, but that's uh, 
Uh-huh. It's cool. And it's, it <laughs> makes me wonder, are they going to reveal once the movie comes out? Are they going to reveal the character that didn't make the cut, you know, for the final cut of the film? And it's we're all going to want to know, you know, who who did they cut out of this? But uh, no, that's really interesting. And it makes me wonder if it's going to be a. Is this going to be a credit scene or is this, you know, how this how is this going to fit into the movie? Um, I agree. And it makes me wonder if that special character that we're not going to see might be held off for a sequel film, because um, we know that they wanted to do a trilogy out of this minimum. Mm -hmm. So um, it does make me speculate and it makes me wonder. And being the big Batman fan that I am, I can't even begin to guess what the secret character would be. Like, I really have no idea who they possibly could be teasing at the end of, or at the end or in the middle or wherever it pops up. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And there's so many different routes they can go as well. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a cool story and it really gets my mouth watering for this movie to come out. But, yeah, how, yeah. who even knows what, <laughs> what this means? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, all right. In the realm of Batman news, um Soon, coming to your video game consoles like Xbox and PlayStation, uh, there's a video game coming out soon called Gotham Knights. Do you, I don't remember if we talked about this game or not. Do you remember this? I, I remember, was it E3 or San Diego like a couple oh. of years ago? I remember seeing, or maybe it was DC Fandom. I remember watching a trailer for this, this yeah, game. It, it was DC Fandom. Uh, the trailer looks fantastic. This is a game I'm actually uh, very eagerly awaiting. Um, it takes place in the Arkham game. Yeah universe if you will so it takes place so if you play the arkham games which i absolutely love and if you're ever looking to get into them the arkham games they're actually pretty cheap now um and if you look for your deals you can get almost each one for 10 bucks they're pretty cheap um yeah. but they're also phenomenal at the end of arkham knight you kind of see where things go and gotham knights takes place after the events of arkham knight in the story batman or Bruce Wayne is dead and you have, and the rest of the bat family, Nightwing, Robin, Batgirl, and the red hood are left to do whatever they do. Um, the game looks great. However, the reason we're bringing this up is that Gotham Knights, a TV series is in development at the CW to be joining the Arrowverse side of things on the CW. Um, okay. The synopsis reads in the wake of Bruce Wayne's murder, his rebellious adopted son forges an unlikely alliance with children of Batman's enemies when they are framed for killing the great crusader and the city's most wanted criminals. This renegade band of misfits must fight to clear their names. But in Gotham, with no dark night to protect it, the city descends in the most dangerous it's ever been. However, uh, hope comes from the most unexpected of places as the team is mismatched. Fugitive will become the next generation of saviors known as the Gotham Knights. Um, I think this is awesome. Um, and I, when they started, when CW did Batwoman, I was like, okay, cool. We're getting to some Batman stuff. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to really push it over the top because we're going to get Robin, Batgirl, Nightwing and Red Hood all in one show. Um, so even though Batman won't be in it cause he'll be dead, we might get some Batman flashbacks, but we're going to get some real like deep cut Bat family stuff going on. Um, which really has me like at the edge of my seat. So let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's super exciting. It makes me wonder, are they going to be treading on the same ground too much as the Titans series? But either way, it sounds awesome. Like I thought this, the trailer for this game looked a lot of fun. It looked really good. And if they're making a TV show out of this, that's just really cool to hear as well. You know? Right. Um, all right. Um, 
Mega Man live action movie in the works at Netflix. <laughs> See, I'm on board with this one, maybe more than <laughs> some of Netflix other video game or anime adaptations. Like, I'd be down for a live action Mega Man. I think that sounds pretty cool. It makes me wonder, are they going to be doing an adult, more adult version of this? Or is it going to be more of a kid's movie? Um, is there any more details, Drew? Or do you have any uh, thoughts on this? Mm, this is from IGN. So IGN is yeah. from sources familiar with the project that Netflix's live action Mega Man is still very early in development, but it's on the way. So um, there's probably some more details, but probably not much more because not much can be said. Um, I like the idea of it. Um, I hope Mega Man doesn't look weird being live action. I almost wonder if it'd be smarter for them to make like a CG, like super anime version of Mega Man. If that makes sense. Like uh, if you look at the animated series Arcane, maybe do a Mega Man that way. Uh, I don't know. No, I I know what you mean, because it reminds me of when you're at a convention and you see somebody cosplaying as uh, Sora from like Kingdom Hearts and like on screen when you're playing Kingdom Hearts, Sora just looks so cool. Like he's got a great character design. (laughs) But then you see this big, goofy dude with like this big (laughs) hair and huge boots and he just looks really goofy. And so it, it is hard to make it translate into live action. But yeah, I don't know. I think it I think it's. I think this is pretty cool. I just think uh, Netflix really has to worry about, um, I don't know, with, you know, Detective Pikachu and the Sonic movie coming out and people being really happy with the final version of those films and how uh, everything looked aesthetically and stuff. I think Netflix has to really make sure they don't um, (laughs) they don't screw this one up. I was going to use a much more vulgar expression, but, yeah, they don't. They don't want to screw this one up, especially since some of the more cartoony video game movies that have came out lately have actually been really well received. Right. Um, yeah, I know. So that's that's the thing is I like when you say brought the cosplay thing up. That's, that's <laughs> awesome because it, it's, just, it's exactly what I was thinking. Like, you know, I know what cosplay Mega Man looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, the same thing with. I'll keep going. I don't know if I've ever seen someone cosplay as Mega Man, but that's the image in my head is cosplay Mega Man. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same thing with Link. Like Link is such a cool looking character when you play him in a video game and then you see somebody cosplay him and nine times out of ten, they look super goofy. So it's it's hard to pull off. But when somebody does, it's definitely amazing. So, you know what really subtle cosplay thing I think looks really cool like and it's subtle and girls do it and I think it looks awesome. Um, it's the one where they don't really do much. They don't really have to do anything. All they're doing is wearing the elf ears that kind of like poke out of their hair, like to the side, just a little oh, bit. Oh, I get, I get what you're saying. I just, I think it looks awesome. It's probably one of my favorite, just super subtle cosplay things that they do. Um, so yeah, like I, I don't know. I just when you bring up cosplay, I just started thinking about that. I'm like, you know, that's that's just a really subtle thing that someone could do and just go to a con and you're just, you know what I mean, and you're in costume, but you're just like comfortable all day, you know, like yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, at any rate, um, let's talk about a movie called Deep Water. Have you heard about this? It sounds so familiar, all but right. uh, yeah, I'm this, not sure. This caught my attention because the movie got made by Disney, and then it got cut by Disney. Um, the movie is uh, from director Adrian Lin, who is most known for his the movie Unfaithful and Fatal Attraction. Um, and he won a he was nominated for a best director for Fatal Attraction in 1988 for that. Um, and Unfaithful came out in 2002. 
Um, both of those are erotic thrillers. Deep Water is another erotic thriller um, from Disney. <laughs> and that's why, okay. this caught, that's why this caught my attention. Um, it stars Ben Affleck and uh, Ana de Armas. Um, I am like Ana de Armas is becoming my new like celebrity like obsession right now. I'm like really like like I'm she was awesome in the new Bond film. And it's made me go, what else is she in? You know what I mean? Like you see someone you like really like in a movie and then you're like, what else is this person in? Um, mm -hmm. So I've been kind of looking up a bunch of stuff with her and I came across this movie Deep Water um, just based on like the synopsis of the film. I'm really kind of interested to see the movie um, because it got cut and canceled. Um, I'm just like, well, how am I supposed to watch this movie? Um, if anyone is looking for deep water, it is going to be put on Hulu and Amazon, um, uh, later. The movie was originally going to hit theaters in January 14th, but, um, there's no date for the streaming service yet, but it will go to both those places. Um, so I, I kind of look, I'm just kind of looking forward to it. So. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sounds, sounds cool. Um, I was just trying to look it up and there's unfortunately like two other movies at least called deep water, which, uh, I always hate when I see, you know, repeated titles, but I'm definitely interested in this one based on what you've said and based on the other movies that the direct, this director has done. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see, uh, see this one when yeah. it finally comes um, out. Do you, is there a release date or anything yet? Not yet. It was supposed to release Jan January 14th, but it's not now. Um, so here you go. Um, Affleck and Diarmas star as Vic and Melinda Van Allen, a married couple whose mind games with each other take a twisted turn when people around them start turning up dead. The couple staves off divorce in a loveless marriage by allowing each other to take lovers, but it becomes a messy as Highsmith um, exposed the surface facade of American suburban life. Um, that just sounds all kinds of messed up and let's watch it. <laughs> It sounds so. dark. Um, it doesn't sound like it's going to be an upbeat film, but it also sounds really interesting. So, uh, yeah. yeah, good call. <laughs> All right. Um, we're running long, but I got two more stories. So first off, apparently buying Legos is a better investment than buying gold. Um, a new study from the Higher School of Economics in Russia suggests a new kind of investment, an investment type that we hadn't heard about, but one we know a little more about. This investment happens to be Lego. Now, if you read into the article, basically second market Lego sets are going for a fortune. Like people are spending <laughs> ridiculous amounts of money for secondhand Legos, but it's very specific stuff. And it's made me dig in to see what I have because um, and they even they'll even purchase. They don't have to be sealed. They can be fully put together. They're like it's the the collection and these sets are becoming this is becoming almost like a Bitcoin level investment kind of situation right now. Yeah. Um, and they're referring to like their older sets. So don't think to yourself, oh, I've been collecting uh, like the new Star Wars stuff. Star Wars is one of the high commodities, but it's original Star Wars Legos. And when I say that, like, yeah, I own I personally own the original Star Wars Millennium Falcon, which doesn't nearly look as good as some of the stuff coming out now. And that's one of those things like I wonder how much that's worth. Um, so if you got some older Legos that are in like perfect condition and you've been collecting and holding on to and like pride and joy type stuff. Cause I'm a Lego guy and I have a lot of, I saved a bunch of stuff. Take a look because some of those Legos are worth money, like bank money. If you guys want to, uh, if you're going to look at it, maybe sell them. But, um, yeah, I just thought that it caught my attention. I'm like, wow, apparently, uh, <laughs> I don't need to do stocks. I just have to buy Legos. So, 
<laughs> yeah, I've actually heard this come up on a couple podcasts recently. So I think it's kind of funny that you mentioned it now. Um, and I don't want to go too deep into this. Um, but I do I, I can say like, yeah, like that original Millennium Falcon uh, Lego set isn't necessarily as movie accurate looking as some of the newer sets. But I always felt like that original one did look it felt a lot more because I know you because you used to have it, Drew, and it felt a lot more like something you could play with and a lot more durable than I think some of these newer Millennium Falcons look, if that makes yeah. sense. So. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a good way of wording it. Um, but yeah, no. So check it out. Take a look at that stuff. Like what are Legos going for right now? And I was kind of surprised when I started looking up some of the stuff. So uh, some of those collector ones like I know that I just recently bought the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, I know that's a hard one to find because I've never seen it on a store shelf. I had to pre-order it. I've never seen it anywhere like in a store. Yeah, that's saying it's a not saying it's a rare set, but like down the road, where is that going to land? You know what I mean? So. And it's always cool. Like, I think it's always cool when, you know, some sort of nerdy collectible like this starts to gain value. So. That's awesome because, I mean, Drew, you and I have been lifelong lovers of Lego, and it's cool to see it uh, gain value like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, final news story of the night. You ready for our um, science story of the week? Yeah, yeah, cool. Definitely. DARPA, which is a def- – DARPA stands for Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, and NASA scientists accidentally created a warp bubble for interstellar travel. <laughs> All right. (laughs) Um, According to the report, EagleWorks team came across a micro nanoscale structure that predicts negative energy density distribution that closely matches requirements for the. uh, Acubler metric, I don't know if I pronounce that right. In other words, White and his colleagues accidentally created a microscopic experiment while researching how to distribute energy around wavelengths, a theory developed by Dutch physicist Henrik uh, Kazmier. The experiment resulted in enough theoretical energy to achieve warp speed. All right, nice. Mic drop. Dude, we're so close <laughs> to Star Trek right now. <laughs> no, that's that's great. I don't even know how to wrap my head around this or even what to say, but this is really interesting. My my favorite part of this story is just the accidentally created <laughs> aspect. <laughs> Right. Um, I was just like when I read that, I'm like, oh, we're talking about this on the show. Um, That's awesome. (laughs) As you can see, everybody, I really dig for like fun stuff to talk about on the show when I'm prepping the show. for I I always love when you bring science stories because most of the time they honestly leave me speechless. Like usually they catch me off guard and sometimes they're just really entertaining. But this is one of the. This one's more so on the really catches me off guard, but is definitely really cool. And this is one that I mean, I could eat my words, I guess. But this one, I don't have as much existential dread after hearing as some of the other ones. <laughs> oh, like, up. The, like the like the robots that can reproduce from last week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, anyway, so it looks like we could be getting warp speed soon as long as they can figure out how to harness that and actually put it into a spaceship. Um, I don't want to be on the mated voyage of that because I did see Event Horizon and that went all kinds of bad. (laughs) Yeah, um, (laughs) I was going to say, as long as we can stay away from ludicrous speed, I think we're all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. (laughs) All right. Well, how about this? Do you want to talk about tonight's list? Yeah, let's go for it. 
Perfect. Uh, Ryan, do me a favor and roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right. So, Peter, here we go. Uh, ready for this week's list? Yeah. All right. So this was my pick. Um, I don't know what made me come up with the idea for this, but I was kind of thinking about it. Um, and I was kind of poking around, looking around online for like some cool stuff. And then something caught my attention. And I was like, you know, we never did sword fights. Um, we never discussed sword fights on movies, television, that kind of thing. Um, and I have always been a massive fan of swords. I've never taken like a fencing class or anything like that, but I've always been like a massive fan of swords and the idea of, I guess, like, this there's like a stigma with swords, I guess you could say. There's like a yeah. there's like a nobility to it. A um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, to me, there's always been like a romanticism to it. Yeah. Um, yes. There you go. A lot of a lot of times with like different stories that I enjoy, I always really like melee combat. Um, like I do like a good shootout and stuff, but I always am more attracted to the melee combat because it always seems higher stakes and, you know, you have to get closer to your enemy and stuff like that. And sword fighting has always been this, it's like this age old image that's kind of ingrained in every little boy's head when it comes to Robin hood and King Arthur and all these old fairy tales and stuff where people are carrying around swords and dueling and stuff. And I've always been attracted to the, the romanticism of it and the way it's been portrayed in a lot of different media. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know uh, where else you were going. I didn't want to <laughs> take well, over, but uh, when I was, you know, like I said, I've been a, I've been a massive fan of swords and sword fights. And like, like you said, the romance, the romantic side of things and that kind of thing. It's just like when I play a video game, I want the sword. I don't want a battle axe. I don't want a hammer. I want a sword. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. like I play Diablo and I know that the axe that I just walked past is probably higher value for me right now. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm going to hold out for the next sword that I pick up. You know what I mean? Like, it's just that's that's how it's been for me. Like, I've always just like gravitated towards it all the time. Um, that being said, I just thought it'd be kind of cool. And like a long time ago, we did a uh, um favorite uh fictional swordsman um and i just thought it'd be really fun to actually discuss sword fight sequences um so yeah no this is a great list too because i remember i think it was the second episode of the podcast i chose to do our top five chase scenes from movies and this is kind of along the same line it's like a specific kind of action scene from movie and we haven't done a lot of lists like that but i definitely think it's a good thing to look at so um and i agree with everything you said about sword play and i've always been really attracted to just sword fight scenes and uh swords in general and stuff so i definitely hear you there um but yeah um i don't know if we should jump into the list i have two honorable mentions (laughs) i have two honorable mentions as well i'll like just to i'm gonna reiterate this real quick so as far as the list goes um one of the things that i did say was I am counting lightsabers as swords because essentially that's what they are. And I didn't want to have the argument of, well, our lightsaber swords are not. So I'm just going to let them count. Um, I tried to honestly, I tried to keep Star Wars off my list because um, that's not really the same level I was thinking of. But I do have Star Wars on my list. 
Um, so, and one, one honorable mention related to star Wars and one actual pick. Um, and it's totally fine if you do too. I just wanted to throw it out there that I am allowing it just because essentially that's what they are. You didn't want to do a sword fighting list and have us only talk about lightsaber fights. (laughs) That was really my concern. I was really like, crap, I'm going to say sword fights and then we're going to show up with like five. It's all going to be lightsabers. So that's why I was really kind of focusing on because there's like a specific one that I'm going to talk about tonight. There's the reek that really, I think, drove home the idea of the coolness of what swords are. So, um, yeah. Nice. Um, Anyway. uh, Yes. You got two honorable mentions. So do I. Okay, sweet. Um, then I can jump into my first one. Um, I don't necessarily have to say too much about this one, but I went with uh, Cloud versus Sephiroth in Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. Um, I think this might be, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is my only animated sword fight on my list, but really Advent Children as a movie. Um, I'm not the biggest um, Final Fantasy fan. Like, I've always really appreciated it from afar, especially the character design and some of the lore and stuff. I haven't played a lot of the games or anything like I'm not a hyper fan, but this movie I love to watch because honestly, the action scenes are really they're just so good and they're so imaginative, but they're also portrayed so realistically. Like, I just think the action scenes in this movie are just so attractive to me and uh, the way that uh I went with Cloud versus Sephiroth because I feel like it's the most um, proper sword fight where you have two characters with swords who are duking it out, um, you know, against each other. But honestly, like it's really in comparison to a a whole bunch of ones I figured we were (laughs) discuss. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, based on all the action scenes in the movie, because there's a lot of parts where it's Cloud oh, versus another character this, who doesn't have a sword. Movie, in this yes, yes, yeah, proper sword fight. Okay, <laughs> um, okay. like the, the when they're fighting against the giant, uh, like monster. Uh, I think it's Bahamut is what it's called. That's like like that's an awesome sequence, but I don't know if I'd consider it a sword fight because it's not it's characters. Not, I, yeah, I understand what you mean now. OK, yeah. Um, but it's really any action scene in this movie. I just really love because it's so it's just so imaginative how everything plays out. Um, I actually was rewatching this uh, scene on YouTube before the show, and uh, I was just thinking, like, it's just so the cloud versus Sephiroth sword fight scene. It's just so epic. Like, it's literally like it reminded me of uh the uh, Superman versus General Zod sequence from uh, Man of Steel, but it was people sword fighting like they're knocking over buildings. They're running over buildings. They're jumping at each other like super high in the sky. And it almost like made me wonder, like, I know people say Zack or yeah, Zack Snyder was really influenced by Dragon Ball Z and the Matrix, for example, when he did that Man of Steel fight scene. But I kind of wonder if he was influenced on by uh, Advent Children at all. So this oh. is a really cool movie, really cool action that's sequences. That's a really interesting that's a really interesting point. Yeah, cuz it was just when I rewatched it earlier I was like I'm kind of getting Man of Steel vibes <laughs> from this to be honest. <laughs> um but anyways, I I said I was going to keep that short and I think I rambled on quite a bit. So okay. sorry, <laughs> I absolutely I absolutely love this fight scene and I totally understand exactly what you're talking about. So but yeah, well, actually, Cloud, anytime he's got a sword in his hand, like, I want that buster sword. I would love <laughs> like, it's, yeah, I remember being at a Comic-Con and like if you go to a Comic-Con, there's always like six weapon booths um, and some of them are meant to be fake and they're meant to be toys like because for like cosplay purposes. And yeah, some are real. 
And one of the guys, one of the booths had a real buster sword out of real metal. It was like a replica of the clouds buster sword. And I remember, I remember asking him like, do you mind if I try and pick that up? He's like, you can try. And he kind of chuckled and holy cow, dude, I don't, that's, that's that thing where you have final fantasy, dude. It's, it's a fantasy. Like uh, no normal person can wield that weapon without some level of super strength. Let me say that. (laughs) Absolutely. But that's kind of the coolness of it too, is because, it's not necessarily really realistic in that regard, but then it takes all that more imagination to kind of justify it in your head. And I, I really like that aspect. Like the, it forces you to imagine that it could happen sort of thing. All right. Well, my first uh, honorable mention for the night is kill bill. Um, okay. Specifically referring to the fight with the crazy 88s. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> there is, everyone's got swords it's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous. It is one of the most over-the-top sword fight scenes ever. Um, the thing that makes this an honorable mention as opposed to an actual pick is I feel like, yes, all those characters are skilled with swords, but there's so much going on that I never got the like skill aspect of it, if you will, <laughs> because okay. there's so many swords. Um, that makes sense. But like the Like the true like the true swordsman, like you get that when you narrow it down and it becomes Uma Thurman versus Lucy Liu and you get the sword fight, but it's such a slow drawn out sword duel where it's like cut, cut, you know, block parry. And then the fight's over. It's such a fast sword fight. And I guess it's, it's trying to show off how much better Uma Thurman is than Lucy Liu's character. However, it's not a drawn out fight. And I have another example, um, in my actual picks that we'll talk about, um, later that I'm that I'll counter, but that's why Kill Bill is a phenomenal sword fight like moment in the movie. But it's 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 almost weight. It's almost too much, if you will. Yeah, I agree with that. And when she is fighting the crazy 88, there's not a lot of sword on sword clashing. You know, it's a lot of Uma Thurman just cleaving through different <laughs> members of the crazy 88 and stuff. But I do. I do love that scene. I do really like how it goes into the um, the out the you know outside duel with Oren Ishii in the uh, snow. Like that's really a great part, and um, I'm just a sucker sucker for it. That scene has you know that moment where uh, the bride does slice <laughs> slice one of the crazy eight members vertically, so just like through his skull and then you know down his torso and he splits in half and squirts blood and that's one of those moves that you see in anime all the time but you don't see in movies a lot so anytime i do see it in live action it's like a guilty pleasure for me you know so i was all there for all here for that one but uh yeah definitely a good good pick yeah yeah all right uh what's your next honorable mention uh, yeah, so my next honorable mention is super goofy, but I went with the blunt saber fight from Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> <laughs> I I love uh, the Jay and Silent Bob films, so this probably isn't a surprise, but really when it comes down to it, this is Jay and Silent Bob fighting or, you know, dressed as Bluntman and Chronic, fighting Mark Hamill dressed as Cockknocker on a movie set that's made to look like a weird parody of the um bat cave but you have to remember they're fighting with uh you know bongs that basically become lightsabers <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a good combination of comedy as well as just you know it has the star wars connections it has the comic book connections like it's just a fun just a fun sequence so that's why this uh 
this fight scene made my list. It's also there's a couple scenes on my list that I've just watched ad nauseum. And this is definitely one of the ones that maybe I've watched this too many times. But, yeah, I've watched this movie so many times. This is one of the scenes that I've seen the most <laughs> probably on my list. So there you go. Yeah, hey, no, this is a really fun fight scene. This is really not, there's not much sword to this because it's more comedy than anything. And they're trying to get out the funny jokes. They're trying to get out the fact that they got Mark Hamill to come back and have a lightsaber. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's really more meant for the play. So I understand why this makes an honorable mention to you as opposed to um, – as opposed to uh, um, a full pick, if I will. Yeah, I, I guess the only thing I'll say to that is like uh, this one definitely does count. And I do like to I, I really do appreciate the craft of uh, comedy and stuff. And that's why, like, this did make my list as an honorable mention, because I do like <clears throat> I think it's harder to make goofy things than people give it credit for. So I do really appreciate that. But it's also just like. This one's really fun. It's not necessarily the best sword work. You know? So I definitely hear you there. Um, all right. Well, my uh, my, ne- my next honorable mention is uh, from Star Wars. I'm probably going to get yelled at because it's an honorable mention. Um, and I'm probably going to get yelled at because it's so low on the list, if you will. But that is the uh, Star Wars Episode Three Duel Anakin versus Obi-Wan. Oh, uh, awesome. This is, this is an incredibly emotional sword fight. But this is a sword fight where they talked real heavily about those specific actors um, pouring into the training and the choreography for that duel. And if you take away the lightsabers, if you take away the background, if you take away all the emotion and just seriously focus on like their movements and like that duel, these are really skilled individuals fighting each other. Some of those sword moves are incredible to watch and they're incredibly fast. Um, and it's one of those just really impressive like duels. And that's that's like that's the reason I'm grabbing it for this honorable mention. It's just it's awesome. Um, and it's probably one of the best parts of the film. But, um, yeah, I don't have too much to say about it because it is an honorable mention. But um, everyone knows that battle. If you if you're a Star Wars fan, if you've seen Star Wars, you know what I'm talking about. It's just incredibly fast paced. It's incredibly well choreographed. Those guys really know what they're doing. Um, and there's some stuff that I'm just like, like it'll be on TV. It was on TNT this past weekend. And I literally just stopped and was like, I love this part. I need to yeah, just totally. like watching these blades like <laughs> fly around and you're just like, God, that's good. You know? So anyway. it's just such a good, it's such a good scene. And, uh, it's just such an epic fight scene to, uh, end that whole trilogy. I've heard a lot of people say this is the best fight i've heard people say this is the best fight scene in all of star wars i don't know if i would go that far but i do think this is this is a really great pick like i do really love this fight scene so yeah, uh, I, don't know yeah. If I, I don't know if i'd go to that far to say it's the best but it's definitely up there so yeah yeah for sure um all right what's your first actual pick of the night man I could. <laughs> this one could be pretty short because I had the crazy 88 fight from Kill Bill no, volume one on my list. <laughs> and I don't know if I have too much to say that we haven't already said. And I feel like within the span of our podcast um, in general, we've talked so much about this movie and so much about the scene already. <laughs> so <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, sounds good. All right. I'm going to get my other Star Wars one out of the way. Um, just so we can move on to actual swords, because that's the reason I wanted to talk about this. Um, but that would be the Star Wars Episode One uh, sword fight, the duel of the fates battle at the end of that film. Um, and the reason this one 
specifically um here's the thing this one was specifically choreographed by um ray park so he had a full hand in how all that choreography was going to go on what i love about it is you have if you just look at this if you look at the sword fighting like situation you have ray park who's a trained martial artist you have liam neeson yeah he's an actor but he's a trained swordsman most of liam neeson's movies if he's not like a modern day character He's had if he's like any period piece, he's got a sword in his hand. Um, mm-hmm. So you have a trained swordsman, a trained martial artist and you and McGregor coming to learn stuff. Right. Well, you and McGregor's the Padawan anyway. So it's kind of this really kind of fun dynamic, if you will. Master and apprentice and then fighting Darth Maul. Right. That duel, you can tell how skilled they all are when that duel begins and you can see it yeah. like our movements and the way the and the blades move, the way they block. I mean, you have these guys using single blades, so they have a specific trajectory where these blades go. You have Darth Maul using a double-bladed lightsaber, so like one blade moves, so you have an idea of where the other blade is, but it's still going to come around and get you on the other side. Like, it's such a cool like setup the way those that fight's done. What gets crazy about that fight is it gets faster, and then it gets faster, mm-hmm. and then it gets emotional when uh, Qui Gon dies. Spoilers. Um, and then, and by the way, if you haven't seen episode one by now, seriously, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, it's 19, 1999. Come on, people. Um, at any rate, um, after Qui-Gon dies, the battle with Darth Maul and Obi-Wan gets faster. And then when Obi-Wan cuts his lightsaber in half, it's like the blades even move quicker than that. But the skill of hit after hit after parry after block, like it's incredible to watch. It's one of my favorites just because of the the skill. And uh, this isn't one that has like emotion like the Anakin Obi-Wan done one does in the same way. It's got it's literally like three masters at their prime. Here we go. You know what I mean? It's so cool to watch that one. Um but yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add to it, unless we matched on this one. But no, we a- we actually did match on this one, and I actually didn't expect that. I thought you were gonna go with an OT lightsaber fight, but this. Let me tell you, I remember being in like sixth grade and seeing the trailer for episode one, and you see Darth Maul with the double bladed lightsaber and getting so jazzed up, and then watching the movie, and finally when that when you actually get to see Darth. Uh, Maul using both blades at the end of this film. It was just so epic. And then the fight scene that played out was so good. And uh, it's one of those things that I loved at that age. And as I've gone back and rewatched this fight scene, it's really held up. And I know so many people who don't care for the Phantom Menace who still say, well, I do admit that that lightsaber fight <laughs> was really awesome, you know, <laughs> and it's it's just one of those things. But it's just so good. And everything you said about it is great. Like the speed and intensity is just so, so amazing. And I even I really like the part where the there's a when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan get separated from Darth Maul and they have to kind of wait between those like force fields to get to him. And that's just such a cool moment of tension. Um, it's kind of like. It really builds for a good I like to think about fight scenes sometimes where they have a good like beginning, middle and end kind of like the whole fight tells a storyline. And I feel like that is a really good sort of like second act sort of like tension building within the scope of that fight scene that I really love. But uh, no, this one's great. It's hard to add too much to 
that you didn't say already, but uh, yeah, we matched. So I obviously love this scene as well. <laughs> Sweet. So that throws it back to me and I'm going to mention the next movie that uh, I have a feeling we matched on. Uh, <laughs> so what you're gonna, I'm going to call this now. You're going to force me into having my goofiest pick end up being my last one again. <laughs> no, it's fine. But uh, yeah, go ahead. As we talk, there's two more. I have a feeling we met. Actually, we matched a lot now that I think about it. How about this? There's two more I believe we matched on. And then there's one yeah. that you and I have matched on that I haven't brought up yet. Um, so, you know, how about this? I'll let you do a I'll let you do a goofy one real oh. quick so we can get that out of the way. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So you, I, I don't so, want to screw up the order, but I can. No, no it's totally fine. I'll let you because you're like, I don't know if I want to do a goofy one for my last one. No, so. I, I just think it's funny. Um, the one really goofy pick I have on my list is I did put the Black Knight fight scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail <laughs> on my list. And it goes to say, like what I was saying with my honorable mentions, like I do really appreciate the craft of comedy and I take it just as seriously as like certain serious fight scenes and like this one like yeah there's some sword clashing but it's mostly just king arthur cutting off the black knight's limbs but <laughs> this one almost didn't make my list but it was just too good i was like no i gotta do it like i love this scene so much so yeah the black knight from monty python all right, all right so you bringing this up kind of changes the order a little bit so i'm gonna have to do two <laughs> I'm gonna have to do two picks back to back, but it's all right. No, it's, it's all good. We'll we'll roll with it. Uh, so no, that's awesome. I I love this fight. This is I see what you're talking about. It, there's not a lot of sword fighting to it because it's King Arthur just kind of like cuts bar, potty parts off and he's <laughs> so I but, think I think there is a little bit of sword fighting before the first limb gets cut off, but yeah, yeah, there is. There's a little bit of stuff, and then otherwise it's just King Arthur like dodging sword moves. <laughs> um. But it's I mean, it's still a good fight and I totally understand it. So the one that I basically retracted on, I'll come back to that in a second. But I chose a uh, cloud versus Sephiroth. We actually matched, but mine was an actual pick as opposed to. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, that's that's why I was like, I'll get that one out of the way now real quick. And that way, you know, that back and forth. I'm realizing that we matched a lot more um, or we're going to because I know there's two more that you and I probably matched on. Um, probably. I will say we'll that. Uh, we could have matched for the rest of the list. I will say that when I Googled uh, famous movie sword fights, I was really kind of shocked to see that, like, for example, um, so I don't know what else to say about Cloud versus Sephiroth that we haven't already said. The fight's amazing. Go see Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. It's great. Um, or play the video game because that's also pretty darn good and there's some cool sword fighting in there. Um, so my next pick um, and then we'll get us back on the back and the correct back and forth is the three Musketeers film from 1993. Yeah. Um, well, I had this on my list as well, but, uh, which scene did you go with the whole movie? Oh. <laughs> did that, does that count? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I don't know. So like, no, there's a specific scene I was thinking of, but what's interesting about the movie is, um, when I Googled, they have three Musketeers on famous, like when you Google like 10 greatest sword fights in film, Three Musketeers is on the list, but it's not this movie. Yeah. It's one of the ones like it's one of the really, really older ones. And I'm like, you know, sword fighting and all that stuff kind of has like evolved, not like evolved as a sport, but like evolved like. This like mm -hmm. I just I think this Three Musketeers movie is way better. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I've seen the other one that they were mentioning and I'm like, I mean, those sword fights were OK. Um <laughs> 
this Three Musketeers from 1993. This is one with Charlie Sheen, Keeper Sutherland, and uh, Chris O'Donnell and Oliver Platt. Um, and uh, Michael Wilcott plays Rochefort, I believe. Tim Curry. Um, yeah. Um, Gabrielle Anwar, I believe, is the queen's name. Yeah. And Rebecca De Mornay. Those are the all the characters I can remember from it. Anyway. Um, uh, Chris O'Donnell, I can't remember if you mentioned him. I, that, I, but I, yeah, you I, pretty I, much got them all. <laughs> Um, this movie starts out with duels and it ends with duels. It's literally sword fight after sword fight after sword fight after sword fight. There's so many sword fights in this. Sometimes they're big extravagant battle sequences. Sometimes they're isolated emotional duels. Um, the first one is like, eh, it's the two guys fighting in the field. But then when you get to like his first encounter with the three musketeers for real, where it's supposed to be a duel and then the Cardinals guards come and it becomes a sword fight. That's such like, the sword fighting in there is it's just awesome to watch and it's yes. like super skilled. And then like as the movie progresses, the sword fights just get bigger and bigger and more epic. But then you get down to at the very end, even though they're getting bigger and bigger, it culminates in this like intense, incredible duel between uh, D'Artagnan and Rochefort. And like that duel, it's so good. And these are you have this like master trying to beat down on the little guy and the little guy is just as skilled and the master doesn't realize it. You know what I mean? Like it's such a cool sequence. Um, so yeah, probably the end duel between those two are the ones that I was really focusing on, but the, oh, movie, nice. the whole movie in general. So no, th- this movie's awesome. We've mentioned it a ton, but I think this movie's a little bit um, underappreciated because I think it's one of those. Incredibly. I think I really do think it's what's that. It's incredibly underappreciated. Yeah, because I think it's one of those I really think it's like the same level as of fun and just adventure and everything as the first like Pirates of the Caribbean movie. But it's it just kind of, I think, has gotten forgotten by a lot of people. But it's a great, great film. Like, it's so much fun to watch. Like, everybody should check this movie out. Um, so this film definitely had to make my list because I do love the sword fighting in it in this movie. And it's one of my favorite movies of all time. But I specifically did go with the uh, with the scene where they uh, were supposed to meet up and they were all going to duel. You know, <laughs> D'Artagnan had three duels lined up for one day and uh, he didn't know that they were all musketeers. And uh, and then they end up having to fight off the um, the Cardinals guards on like the outskirts of uh, Paris. And uh, no, I just I love this fight because it takes place on these really epic looking ruins and the sword fighting is great. And you have all three of the Musketeers as well as D'Artagnan and it showcases all of their sort of fighting styles and skills and stuff. And it's just a, an awesome scene. And uh, a big part of it is honestly like, like the setting of this fight scene. Like I actually listened to a podcast once where they were discussing this movie and I guess there's no area outside of Paris that has ruins like this, that, <laughs> that like this fight could actually take place. But having a good sword fight on a set of ruins like this is just so epic looking. Like you can't, I cannot eat that. You know, I can't not eat that up is what I was trying to say. So I just, this movie's great, but, uh, I specifically went with that, uh, that scene okay, early that, in the movie. That first, so. initial, that a first initial thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, all right. So I got two more picks, right? So it goes back. So you're actually choosing three musketeers. Yes. Okay, so I got two. You got one left. All right, so my second mm-hmm. to last, my second to last pick of the night is the movie Willow. Okay. Uh, I don't know if we matched on this one. No. Yes. 
I didn't pick any fight scenes from Willow, but I'm okay. curious to hear which one you did. So what's interesting about Willow is the fight. This is cool because you're introduced to Mad Mardigan, who says he's the greatest swordsman that ever lived. OK, and you see some really amazing stuff he does with a sword, but you don't actually get to see him like legit. Have a duel until the end of the movie, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting, like you see some really great stuff and you're just like, wow, you are great and all that stuff. And you see sword fighting, but it's not like a duel so much as he's fighting like lots of people at once and that kind of stuff. Um, what's really cool is he does this whole I'm the greatest swordsman that ever lived. And um, you have. General Kale is the big bad, I guess you could say. Not he's the big bad for Mad Mardigan. You know, Queen Bev Morta is the big bad of the movie, but her like but General Kale is like her Darth Vader. If you're looking at Darth Vader and the Emperor, those are the Darth Vader and Emperor characters for this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And oh goodness, George Lucas, look at that. Um <laughs> at any rate, what's interesting is when Mad Mardigan and General Kale see each other across the battlefield and the at that castle. Um, at Nakmar Castle, and they they see each other across the battlefield, and they literally like start beelining it to each other. What's interesting about that is because it sounds like from what you learn from dialogue, it seems like Mad Mardigan was a soldier, or at least has ideas of what's going on, so he knows who General Kale is, and General Kale would know who Mad Mardigan is, but. You get the sense of when they look at each other, there's a history there, like they're possibly rivals that was yeah. never discussed in dialogue. It's literally like a look from across the field and you get that sense that they're rivals and you've never known that before. Like it's new mm-hmm. information all at once. So it makes this like it already creates a emotional tension without having the backstory and your brain starts filling in the gaps. When they start fighting, you have a skilled swordsman who says he's the greatest swordsman ever lived. And you have this other guy who, you know, is just deadly. Right. When they start Mm -hmm. fighting, it starts as like a little bit of sword technique, but it's almost like you take two masters and they're stuck breaking, breaking everything down to being a street fight. And it's literally like almost like they're brawling with their swords and they're trying to get the hits in that they can get in because they're just pissed at each other. And they're and one of them's got to die. This is a fight to the death. It doesn't matter how I do it. It doesn't matter how gritty I get it. A win's a win. Here we go. Um, Yeah. And I love the part at the end. I just think it's it's such a cool thing because I've never seen it done before is the two sword kill. Like it's never like I've never seen this done any other time in a movie Uh, when Mad Mardigan finally like shoves the sword through the stomach of General Kale. General Kale's still like struggling to stay alive and Mad Mardigan looks down and he sees the sword at his foot and he steps on the um, hilt of the sword to prop it up and then he pulls General Kale down on it. So now he's got two swords sticking out of his gut yeah. and then he tosses him off the bridge and you're just like, God, that was cool. You know what I mean? It's just this really mm-hmm. cool moment. But it's the idea of these two masters that are very skilled and you see them skilled in previous parts of the movie. And then when they have to fight each other, it's almost like a street fight. Um, where the skill goes out the window, where the skill goes out the window because we are focused on, um, we're focused on one of us is going to die and that's the end of the discussion. So I don't know. That's why I chose that fight scene. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually, you bring up a lot of great points and I like how you, in your description, really right there, you really focused on, uh, the characterization of, um, both of these characters and stuff like that's just really awesome. Um, Willow was definitely a movie that made my short list. And I think this, this fight scene for me a little bit just got lost in the final 
battle of the film just in general when I thought back on it. And I think that's just why I guess like a lot of times I'm really attracted to like the really solitary sort of <laughs> sword fights. But uh, no, this is definitely a great pick. And uh, yeah, I hearing your description, it kind of it kind of makes me feel like I need to rewatch this and uh, <laughs> really appreciate that scene more like all the little details you pointed out, you know. Yeah, like it's just I noticed that like I, I threw on Willow the other night to kind of just have in the background while I was doing stuff like folding laundry and stuff because it was just like what's on Disney Plus to check out. I'm like, oh, Willow, why not? I love this movie. Yeah. And it was because of that announcement of the Willow show and getting to see that bit that uh, Warwick Davis had. And then um, I was literally I got to that scene and I'm like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And I've always liked that scene. But like noticing that my brain has to fill in the gaps of them knowing each other and why do they know each other? And the fact that they're rivals, but it was never discussed before because now we're learning it, you know? So yeah, I actually really love moments like that, like where they kind of show that like these characters know each other or they're at least familiar with each other's reputations without having to explain it. Like I actually really appreciate when a movie can do that. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I don't know what else to say about Willow. I just was like, go back and rewatch that scene, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, all right, dude, it's your final pick of the night. Um, I have a feeling we matched, but go ahead. Yeah, I went with uh, Wesley versus Inigo Montoya yes. uh, in The Princess Bride. <laughs> we, Another. What's go that? ahead. <laughs> I, you were going to say we matched, which. Yeah, is we awesome. totally matched them. So. <laughs> no, I was going to say this is another fight scene that takes place on ruins which is just such an epic setting for a sword fight but uh it's on top of the cliffs of insanity and it's um it's just a great scene overall like i love how it plays out like princess bride first of all is a movie that i've always appreciated for the dialogue in this movie like the characters are so good and the dialogue and storytelling is so good and i the way that Anigo and uh, Wesley are first introduced and how Anigo is, you know, he's a he's you know, he's a fair sport and he's going to let Wesley kind of uh, climb to the top of the mountain and gain gain his strength and stuff before uh, actually fighting, fighting him. But then it leads just to this really, really cool fight scene with a lot of really good sword play and a lot of cool stunts and stuff. But it almost the sword play is kind of intermingled with bits of dialogue and there might be a couple sort of jokes and then just a couple things that they discuss while fighting each other. And the way it plays out to me kind of almost has like a musical quality where there's some intense parts. There's some softer, like almost dare I say melodic parts in a weird visual way, but it, it really has that feel where it's not the most intense like there are intense parts, but it's not the most intense sword fight you've ever seen, but it's just still so epic. It's still so fun to watch. And it has like it really does have a rhythm and kind of a melody to the fight scene. At least that's how I think of it when I look back on it. I don't know if that makes sense to you, Drew. I see what you're saying. Um, First off, this is, I believe, the only actual sword fight. In the oh, there's two. There's another one. There's the Inigo versus yeah. Fingered Man. But this is the sword yep. fight. This is the sword fight that made me fascinated with swords. Like yeah. this, this is the one, this is the movie that I watched and I was like, Oh my God, that was amazing. It was literally my favorite scene. That's probably like you watch the scene, you rewind it, you watch it again, you rewind it, you watch it again, <laughs> you finish the movie, you go back just to watch the scene again. Like it's, this is, I remember movie. doing that as, as kids and drew, I remember you like pointing out like, 
I remember watching this uh, with our family and just you pointing out, like, you guys know this is the best scene in the movie, right? And, uh, you know, ever since, just every time I rewatch it, I'm like, yep, Andy was right way back when, like, this is the best scene. <laughs> the best scene in the movie. Um, yeah. You know, it's the movie, it, that's the scene that made me just fascinated. And also made me fascinated with that specific type of sword, the rapier blades. Um, I just, yeah. I kind of, like, yeah, some of the bigger swords, like the buster swords, or when you look at, like, Jon Snow's uh, the long claw, the big, you know, those medieval-style swords, they're cool. I'm not going to argue that. I mean, they're really cool, and, you know, watching sword fights like that is awesome. But those smaller, like, rapier blades, like, there's a finesse to them. There's an artistic style to them. Like you said, there's a romanticism to them. Um, yeah. And I just I just really like that style. Um, the... That fight scene, what I love about that is there's this somber, like, dialogue, conversation that happens at the beginning. Yep. And it's very clear that these guys are both skilled with swords, right? Mm-hmm. And the sword fight begins, and it seems like one guy's got the upper hand. And then there's that, no, I'm actually not left-handed. You know, they sw- <laughs> you know that, mm-hmm. whole, that whole dialogue sequence. But what you're seeing there is they're both masters, and they're reading each other and they're testing each other. And it's very skilled either side of the coin. They're both they're literally matched as equals. And the only reason Wesley gets the upper hand is probably because Inigo was a little bit, you know, drunk at the time. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> when you learn more about his character, there's a chance that is he a better is Wesley the better swordsman or was Inigo a little bit off of his game just because of the sake of um, circumstances of his character. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it makes me think yeah. about makes me think about that scene at the end of Braveheart when uh, William Wallace was going to get sentenced um, to death, or you know, was, you know, they were they were the trial at the end of the movie, and someone offered him a drink uh, before he went out there, and he's like, "No, I need all my wits about me." You know, I don't want my yeah. senses. I don't want my senses numbed. Oh man, you know what I mean? Um, such a good such a good moment. Right, but it's just that made me think about that as an adult. That made me think about the Inigo fight scene a little bit more in that aspect, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just the the sword play in this scene, like watching them duel this out. It's literally I'm like when you compare, and I understand the Inigo six fingered man is such a good fight scene because that's another master situation, master versus master. But it's also a very emotional one. This one's emotional for a different reason, but this one's like mysterious and fun and like dark and you're not entirely sure what's going on. And um, you're still learning characters and, you know, like you like both of these guys and you think you like the man in black best. And you know what I mean? You're not 100 percent sure. Um, That's what I was just thinking about. Like you're kind of rooting for both of them at the same time during this fight scene. Yeah. And this is the movie that made me go outside and pick up a stick in the backyard and say, like, what sword fight? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) so, yeah, um, I don't know what else to say, honestly, about it. We've talked about Princess Bride in the past, but I don't think we've ever talked about this specific sequence in the movie. Yeah. Um, Just kind of hearing how you were talking about it. It almost like the scene almost plays out like a uh, game of chess too, where like you said, they're both masters going going at it, and they both have their own strategies and yeah. stuff. And uh, they're just re- they're no, reading each other, and it's like you don't watch the sword; you watch the person's face and their eyes, and you can see the movements and your anticipation and like the way, like you know, it's there's a skill to that. So, anyway. absolutely. Anyway, maybe I need to just take a fencing class and get it out of my system. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was during this discussion, I was thinking about there's a park um, in the town where I live where every time I take my kid there, there's two guys who are actually fencing each other like it over the summer. I saw these two dudes <laughs> who were like practicing fencing in the park like all the time. And like 
I never actually struck up a conversation with him and I probably should have, you know, but then, right. you know, then I'd probably be buying fencing equipment and joining them. And then my wife would be, annoyed with that, and, you know, but that's, that's the world we live in. So it is what it is, but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Cool list. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, that brings us to the end of this list and it's about time we throw this episode in the can, but we need to talk about next week. So normally this would be Peter's pick. But we're going to postpone Peter's list pick for um, uh, something that's a little more scheduled because it's that time of year again where we're closing out the year and looking, taking, look, taking 2021 away and we're looking forward to 2022. Isn't that crazy to say that we're going into 2022? And I only say that in the sense that I've always been a big fan of time travel and future movies. Right. Do you know what I mean? To actually say that we live in the year 2021 and we're about to be in the year 2022. You know what I, I mean? I, yeah, I think I saw a meme recently that said Soylent Green takes place in 2022. Yeah, that's about right. Well, it's, it's like when you watch movies about the future and you outlive Back to the Future 2 or you outlive Terminator 2 and Skynet takes over or when you outlive, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that's that's why I say that. Like, it's just interesting. We're looking forward to 2022, which means Next week, Peter and I are going to be discussing our top five movies that we are most excited about in the year 2022 or our most anticipated films for the coming year. Uh, the following week after that, we'll be discussing our most anticipated television shows, which, God, there's so much stuff. Everything is content in a world where COVID pushed so many dates back. It'll be really interesting to see what you and I come up with for these next two weeks. Um, so after we do our anticipated movies and television for the um We'll go back to our standard Peter and I back and forth uh, picks. So um, sound good to you, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. All right. Well, let's put this episode in the can and call it a night because it's starting to get late for us and I have to get up very early in the morning. So uh, <laughs> do us all a favor and check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. Uh, you can interact with the show on our email, hit us up on our social media, either way it works. Um, we are on Google play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple podcasts. You can subscribe to us in those places. And if you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better. And it makes the words we say feel important. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at drew three, nine, two, seven, uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I'll be giving my regards to Gerard's sister. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right, everybody. For the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, thanks for listening. Have a good night, everyone. Bye.